You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. I'm Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Ben Nagy and Michael Blaine, both from Smarts Communications team. Welcome to the eighth episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. This episode is the first of two special election broadcasts. But before we get to that, we have Ben Nagy as our new co-host here on this broadcast. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, I am uh, Ben Nagy. I am uh, in the communications department uh, in the Smart TD office in Cleveland. Started out in journalism, so uh, it's uh, been a while since I've done some audio back in the college radio station days, uh, but I am very happy and excited to join everyone uh, in this podcast. So Ben, you're from Cleveland. Um, what's it like to be a Cleveland sports fan these days? Well, it's about like the weather is out here. Gray, depressing, with maybe a slight tinge of optimism every uh, seven or eight days. Uh, the Browns look okay, but they haven't really played anyone. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, we're going to lose our best Indians player, Francisco Lindor. But we're used to that because, heck, we lost LeBron James twice. So there we go. Great and well, dreary with a hint of Mayfield. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you know, um, myself, at least, I can't speak for Mike. Mike's from Seattle. They don't have much of a sports history there yet. But uh, I know I know, being from New England, you know, we're so used to winning um, that we kind of <laughs> forgot what it's like to be a city like Cleveland. So, So we might be. <laughs> learning that in the next couple of years as we rebuild. But it's good to have you on the broadcast. Look forward to, uh, to doing more of these with you closely in, in the future. And welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, hey, our, our first guest today is Jeff Prophet. Jeff has been a member of Local 88 in Las Vegas, Nevada for 28 years. He started out as a member in 1993. He's also currently serving as a business manager at Local 88. Brother Prophet is currently running for the Clark County School Board as a trustee from District B. It's a big position with one of the fastest growing school districts in the country. So a lot of you know, everybody goes to Nevada for vacation, playtime, whatever it may be. And there's a saying there in Las Vegas is that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, today, we're not going to be doing that. Jeff's going to be telling us all about what actually does happen in Vegas and what's happening with this race in Clark County, Nevada. You know, the thing about uh, running for school board is uh, this is really a uh, boots on the ground situation where Jeff is, you know, starting from scratch and uh, he's doing his best to network and make some outreach with the community in order to, uh, you know, have a successful campaign. You know, people might scoff a little bit at the idea of, oh, yeah, you know, school board, but it's a very important position, especially in uh, an urban area like Las Vegas. Uh, as you mentioned before, it's fast growing. And then the thing about it as well is uh, the school board out there has a budget of billions with a B of dollars. 
So uh, that's one thing to keep in mind. And, uh, you know, school board is an influential position out there. They make a lot of decisions about capital spending, big construction projects, project labor agreements, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And the other thing, too, is, is we're trying to get a lot of kids back to school around the country. And uh, one of the only ways you're going to be able to get them back to school is ensuring indoor, indoor air quality at these schools, making sure they're safe. And if there's any one organization uh, that's needed to do that, it's the members of uh, SMART on the sheet metal. So there's a lot of work to be done there. I know it sounds like, oh, you're just running for the school board. That's not what that is. I also sit on the Moapa Valley Fire District Board. And these lower levels that people think are lower level boards, they are the most important to your life. The lower down on the ballot you get, the closer you get to your table at home. And that is, it always comes from the effect goes from the bottom up, not the top down. We also talked to Jeff about the importance of technical training and not just going to college and teaching kids to go to college. College is not always the only option. It's not always the best option. And there's an entire world out there with the career through the trades. And what better way to prepare kids for that career than through technical training at local schools, which is a big part of Jeff's platform. Yeah, and in a, in a place like Clark County where 30% of high school kids go on to college, but 70% don't. So what are we doing for all of those other kids? Exactly. That is the platform. We always used to focus on this type of education in high schools, but we can't do that. The younger that we can start this, the better. But I feel our success in Clark County has been that we started in the third grade, that uh, we showed up to schools in the third grade. When we show up with a virtual welder in the third grade, they just, these kids light up. And then what we do is we, we come in there for about four hours with a virtual welder or the virtual scissor lifts and these kids engage in what they are interested in. It's a, you know, this is cool. Uh, we're going to give them assignment and it's going to include math. We're going to show the students that you have to pay attention in your math class. You have to pay attention in your science class. In addition, listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to a question from a member about local elections. Jeff, we want to welcome you to the program. Thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, for putting this on and getting our members in, uh, engaged in what we're doing. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. So, Jeff, just to start off right off the bat, why are you running for office? Well, it was just a couple of years ago, and uh, it was in Miami. Uh, and first, it was my first time being uh, at the – I've been at those meetings before, but it was the business agents, business managers meeting. And as a training director, I've been in there. Uh, sitting with my business manager, and you hear uh, folks from the from the pulpit or pulpit—that's my church background. Uh, they ask you to, you know, to get engaged in politics and get engaged in what it means to us uh, as members to do that. And it just got my wheels churning. Uh, it always has. Politics has always interests me, but when this seat came about and what it does for our members. It just was, it was a no-brainer because of my background as a training director. I've engaged the Clark County School District for so long, and education has always been at my heart. So this was, this is kind of a natural thing for me to do, but I can see so many benefits for our members on the other side of this. So that explains why you're running for school board. Now, what issues are you running on? 
to be honest, you got to have your your issues and then you've got to have, you know, what it is for our members. We, as business manager, my first priority is always to the members of Local 88 and what we can do to benefit them. So the issues are, and this is in every district, this is just in the Clark County School District, but 30% of our kids go on to college. Well, 70% don't, and that's not a bad thing. I think a lot of us in the building trades, we know what a great career we've had and we didn't go, you know, most of us didn't go to college. I went back when I was 34 years old because I felt that uh, that was where my life was going. I was able to pay for it without any debt because of what union wages had given me. So we always use the, the term of upward mobility. Uh, and we have, the, we have the answer. We always have the answer. And what we have done is the model. So for that 70%, that's who I'm, I want to represent because we do a great job in Clark County getting kids ready to go to college but what we don't get them what we don't do a good job is we need to add college and career ready because there's so many good things that 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 students can go into that can have a good middle class life that provides pension health care and it's just not in the sheet metal industry and we've got all of the building trades obviously but we have the culinary here we have the service workers we have the stage hands we have nurses firefighters all of these great great career paths that need to be not just, we, we have them introduced into our school district, but supported and enhanced and to really put into the, the narrative that these are not an alternative to college. These are just as good as college and if not better, because they're gonna provide you a career path with no debt. Let me ask you this, just as a follow-up to that. A lot of people like to say we're the best kept secret out there, right? Yeah. A career in the trades, a career in the sheet metal industry. How are your constituents responding to that or your future constituents? Yeah, it is big. And that, you know, that's the byproduct of this, Paul. This is, and I, I want to get this out to the members. I'm running for school board for the priorities uh, that I just talked about. But as the business manager of the sheet metal workers, I'm getting in to sit at tables that I wouldn't have got to sit at before. And it is, uh, it's a lot of fun. And you get to engage into organizations that you, you normally wouldn't, you know, engage with on a day-to-day -day basis. You would go, you know, you always want their vote, but our political team here with Al Lopez and my guys here, they've done a great job over the years of doing this and I get to be, you know, take it to the next level. So just yesterday I was at a breakfast for an organization called Hispanics and Politics and you get to hear their issues. And then the Clark County Black Caucus has endorsed me and you get to hear their issues. And you know what? Their issues are our issues. And why are we not aligning ourselves with this? One thing, one of the groups just this week that kind of shocked me it's called Nevadans for the Common Good. And there's a couple thousand people in this group that I never even knew about, and they're faith-based. They're churches that want to integrate, and they don't talk party politics. They have two issues, low-income housing and education, and getting education funding. And I, I'm asking myself, why is the Local 88, did we not become a charter member in this group? Uh, and be a part of that because that is a, that's a very influential group that align with all of these other groups that I was talking about, Hispanics and politics, Clark County Black Caucus. And then, you know, I've been endorsed by over 35 of these organizations here, veterans, working families, building trades, police unions, firefighters unions, things like that. And they all have a common goal of education and they all support building trades unions. They support our way of apprenticeship. They support our way of life. And this coalition even though it might be red and, you know, it's, some of them are red, some of them are blue, they all agree that skilled trades is something good and something positive. Let me ask you this question, just to throw this out there. What are you up against? Who are you running against in this election? 
<laughs> that is a uh, that's the million dollar question. If anybody has seen my social media, especially Twitter, this is what's tough about politics: is that you're going to go up against people that only have their self-interest at heart. They don't have the community at heart, and that's what my opponent is. She is a uh, QAnon conspiracy theorist. I'm running for a nonpartisan race, and I really enjoy being that nonpartisan. That you can go in and talk about subjects like skilled trades education, things like that, and everybody's going to listen to you. But my opponent has chose to go down a road of conspiracy theory. She claims that she's a Republican. She is not a Republican. All of us know that we have Republicans and they have their values, and we may disagree with their values, but they have their values. They're good people. They're family people. Uh, and at the end of the day, they're Americans. This is not what we're about. Um, this is the This is the slums uh, of politics, and for some reason, what, whether the good Lord put this in front of me, uh, and this is what we have in front of us, but what I'm really liking about what we've done uh, in our campaign and in Clark County as a whole, uh, you know, I was born and raised here, and people know me. People know my dad. My dad was a Baptist minister. They know the prophet name, and they know the character that, uh, that goes behind that name, and she's tried to attack it, and it came back on her. It's come back on her every time that she had tried to attack my character, attack conspiracy theories. She just moved here just a little over a year ago, but these off-the-wall, you know, just crazy, you know, the craziness that fuels what's going on in America right now, uh, and it keeps people from having good, honest discussions. That's what she's about. I'm really happy with what we've done running a positive campaign against this. Didn't she at one time encourage people to not wear masks? She's encouraged people to not wear masks, that this is the, you know, this is the China virus. She repeats everything that Trump says. Um, she's put out a conspiracy theory that whoever's in charge is going to have a mass shooting in October to throw the election. She's touted that any of the people that are mean to her on Twitter can come meet her and she's got a gun and she knows how to use it. So it is, uh, it's just the basis of society that, uh, that, we don't, that we don't wanna deal with and causes so much trouble. But you gotta keep focused as a candidate. You gotta keep focused on staying positive, don't engage that. And the goal at the other end is education for our kids and work for our building trades and our sheet metal workers. Sounds like you're running a heck of a campaign there, and and I don't know how how wise it would be to be talking about your gun and about mass shootings in a city that had to experience that right. a couple of years ago. That's a big thing that uh, you know that really backfired on her because she tries to pivot every now and then. Because, but on October 1st, just a few days ago, we all have to be reminded of what happened that day, uh, and we lived through that day. And the reason why our governor is in place is because of the way he responded that day. As bad as that day was, it really brought us together as a community. And for somebody to have that kind of outsider mentality that she's had, uh, she wasn't here during all that time to see that struggle and see that pain that we went through and then to to react the way that she does. It just backfired. But, it, you know, it backfires on her. And that's, uh, that's what's good about we need to keep uh, focused on the good that we have in our society. And, that, uh, and, it, and it works against her. On a recent episode of the Break Time Breakdown, we were joined by smart local two brother Aaron Mays, where he talked about life as a sheet metal worker. For the past, I don't know, six years or so, I've been doing the architectural side. Diving headfirst into the world of politics. A bunch of my friends got together over a little incident that happened here in our hometown and said, we want you to be the mayor. 
and offered advice to any other union tradespeople considering becoming public servants. You want to jump in this, don't think, oh, I'm just some guy out here in a hard hat and blue jeans. Men in denim built this country. Men in suits have ruined it. Head over to www.smart110.org or search for us wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Jeff, this is Michael. You mentioned that that people know you and your family in Nevada. You've been involved with legislative issues and political campaigns in the state through your local for a long time. Can -hmm. you tell us a little bit about your your personal journey from smart member in Local 88 to activist to union leader and now to somebody who's seeking elected office in your community? Yeah, so I'll give you know, I'll try and keep it short on that one. Uh, but I was, I was born, I'm second generation Nevadan. My dad was a Baptist minister right here in District B. And, but it, you know, it backfires on her. And that's, uh, that's what's good about, we need to keep uh, focused on the good that we have in our society. And that, uh, and it, and it works against her. 19 years old, and I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to sit and and do that. I wanted to get out and see some stuff. Well, there was a sheet metal worker in his church, and he he said, "Hey, you need to go over here and see this." So my dad saw that I was a sheet metal worker before I did. And the minute I showed up on April 3rd, 1993, into that shop, I was a sheet metal worker. And he he knew that before I did. And uh, the interactions that he's had, it's just nice to see all of the people that he interacted with on some of these Zoom meetings. Some of them say that I look like him, you know, it means a lot to me. But I was a pre-apprentice for, for two years, and then I got into the apprenticeship in 1995. It was a five-year program then, and I graduated in 2000. And I was a, mainly a kitchen guy, food service. So I was a stainless steel welder. Uh, finisher, polisher, things like that. And uh, in 2005, a man by the name of Dan Rose said, hey, why don't you come teach the uh, stainless welding class? And uh, from then, I kind of knew what what I wanted to be. And in 2009, I became a full-time instructor. And sheet metal has always offered me something more and to satisfy what I wanted to do. It always uh, is good even now to go back over there in those classrooms. Uh, and do what I enjoy doing. And then in uh, 2014, Dan Rose retired and I became the training director. And then in uh, 2017, I ran for business manager and here I am. But what I've known through all of that is how important political engagement is. These people are making decisions daily on our work, um, our way of life, our families uh, issues, our education, everything. It's one thing to be the lobbyist. And I've been a lobbyist for a long time. It's one thing to be the lobbyist. It's a completely different show when you're the candidate and you're the one in that seat making that decision. That's really the reason why I decided to go ahead and run is because, you know, in the school district, we would always try and get our apprenticeships in there. And, you know, the leverage that the school district can have in giving students upward mobility by the money that they spend and dictating that says you're going to have a certain percentage of apprenticeship on every construction project. Uh, in, in classrooms, our curriculum through our MC3 program through the building trades, I see so many school districts using that, we don't. And I really want that being, you know, I want to bring that and integrate that. And we would get about 90% of the way there. And then for some reason, it would be pulled back. But as a trustee, that being pulled back is that's a different story now. Now I can be the one pushing the agenda from the inside. So speaking of that, pushing the agenda from the inside, the connection to labor issues that might face a like a K-12 school board might not seem as direct as some of these other labor issues that would come up at the state level. What sort of labor issues would you keep in mind as an elected school board member? Yeah, and this is really one I want to get across to our members across the country. 
I know it sounds like, oh, you're just running for the school board. That's not what that is. I also sit on the Moaba Valley Fire District Board, and these lower levels that people think are lower level boards, they are the most important to your life. The lower down on the ballot you get, the closer you get to your table at home. And that is, it always comes from the effect goes from the bottom up, not the top down. And people don't understand that. You know, here's some insider knowledge here. We've been trying to do project labor agreements through the school district, our water district, our counties, and our cities. The same attorneys sit on all of those boards as advisors and they all play the same games. Oh, that's illegal. You can't have a project labor agreement. You guys know the deal. The same stuff all the time. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And we know that they, I, I, you know, you can see it across the country. It is legal. But what I really want to do through the school district is move that up. And the school district is involved with the Southern Nevada Water Authority, which is a huge huge entity in the Southwest. They govern a lot of water, not just here in Southern Nevada. That's work because we're building through the building trades always with the Southern Nevada Water District. And then the Southern Nevada Water District is part of a whole uh, Southwest water efficiency group. That could be big for all of us. When we talk about the county projects, obviously the county projects, the stadium was a county, was under the county mantra. Our brand new convention center, world's largest convention center, indoor space, was under the county mantra. So the school district attorneys are in charge of all these things. And I think the simplest thing that we can do is introduce apprenticeship standards to our construction. The school district is the biggest spender in a lot of areas in the state of Nevada. They're the biggest spender of construction. We talk about Raider Stadium. They're gonna build three Raider Stadiums over the next two or three years. That's how much construction spending that they do. So, you know, you guys can see how important this is to us. And I, what I really cannot do is I cannot go on that board and people can't say it's going to be union only. We've got to go compete. What you got to do is put the standards in there and say, we're going to have a project labor agreement and we're going to have 30% apprenticeship on that job. And in the side of that 30% of apprenticeship, you're going to have a percentage for black individuals, Hispanic individuals, women. And they told us at uh, Raider Stadium and Convention Center that we would never be able to achieve that. And not only did we achieve it, we doubled it. So now they're kind of having to eat crow now. And I want to bring that and say inside of our construction industry in the school district, we, we want those apprenticeship standards because we know when we put those apprenticeship standards, we can do apprenticeship and we can do apprenticeship well. And that helps us. And then another thing is, is uh, on another note, is what I would like to do is I would like to attach, uh, and a lot of places have already done that, inside the Clark County School District, I want to attach strings to every dollar that we spend. We have two budgets. We have the general budget that is generally about, if they would stop cutting our education, it would be better, but it's generally about 2.5 to $3 billion a year. Our construction spending uh, right now, we have a $6 billion bond that we're about $2 billion into. We still have $4 billion to spend. So there's two different budgets there, but every dollar should have a string attached to it that says you're going to fabricate everything in Nevada, in Clark County. Because we know we do that. Our fabrication shops are here, and it keeps our prevailing wage standards up here, and we can meet that. We can make sure that every dollar spent there can be language in that that says you have to purchase things in Clark County from a minority owned business. And this is really where our, you know, our women, female owned business, and not just uh, these corporations that come in and put a, a female in, in a position 
that meets the criteria. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about local businesses, and then that gives our students a place to go to work. One thing that the Clark County School District and Nevada as a whole, we've been really good about subsidizing Utah. When the Republicans got in in 2015, the very first bill that they put out was to kill prevailing wage. And we uh, we nicknamed it the full Utah Employment Act because you get outside contractors come in and they can't track anything about them. You know, not to knock on Utah because they've got good people there, but these are our tax dollars that need to be spent on our students. And again, upward mobility, give our students when they graduate, if we're gonna train them the way we want, give them a place to go to work and give the black community a place where they can have young kids see people in leadership owning businesses and give them a place to go to work when they're done uh, and being trained off. It's an issue about equality and equitability. And uh, we have the power to do that through our school district. And right now we're just not using it to the full power that we can. So it sounds like the school board is not only a vehicle for investing in education and deciding how that happens, but also you're saying investing in the entire community, right? Yes. Local sourcing and, and sort of making sure those dollars are investing in kids and schools, but it's really money going into the whole community. Absolutely. And it's like we said, if it happens in the school district, because the school district is the biggest, uh, they're the biggest property owner, uh, they're the biggest uh, construction spender. If it happens in the school district, it's going to happen on everywhere else. Even in private industry, it's going to happen. Election day is right around the corner. Check your voting status at smartvote2020.org. If you ordered a mail-in ballot, make sure that you hand it in at your local election office or a drop box, an official drop box that is run by your county's board of elections. Find the closest one at vote.org forward slash dropbox hyphen locator. Hey there, Jeff. Uh, ben Nagy from the TD side. Uh, wanted to uh, you know, thank you for uh, appearing on the podcast and thank Paul and Mike for letting me help uh, co-host. Uh, so, I mean, the, the school district is uh, a massive. I mean, you're, you're serving about 320,000 students. And as you said before, it's a budget of approaching $3 billion. Now you're the business manager of Local 88. Obviously, as a candidate and as a business manager, uh, you've been kind of been pulled at uh, both ends right now. Uh, and you've also served as a, your local's JATC coordinator for about four years. Uh, what lessons have you learned and what insight have you gained from the experience kind of being pulled at both ends, you know, as a union leader? And uh, how were those kind of translate over to the uh, school board? You know, we really want, we want to push our members to do this. And I don't want to discourage them from doing this, but I want to give you a, some tips of what I've learned through all of this is first and foremost, you got to have your family life in order. And I don't mean you being the boss and all that kind of stuff. They've got to be on board, full buy-in. Uh, my wife is a special needs uh, school teacher. Uh, and she sits on the governor's board for special, uh, it's a special education board uh, and advisory board to him. Uh, she sits on that board. So this is, uh, this is near and dear to our hearts as a family first. We've got to have that support at home. It, uh, he or she at home has got to be with you. You've got to do this together uh, or you're not, gonna, you're not gonna be successful. It has to start there. And then secondly, 
I've got, you know, I'll brag, you know, I'm, there's going to be some business managers give me calls after this, but I've got the best staff in the country. I love these guys and they were the next ones. Uh, I went to them and said, this is what I want to do. And it's going to put so much burden on you guys, you know, the girls up front that they have picked up the slack. A lot of times I walk in and I can't even see straight because you're tired and they see that and they say, hey man, we got you. They full buy-in. They were, you know, they were number two and they said, yep, yep, we want you to do this and we see how important it is. And then third, I went to the members. I went to the members and I told uh, at a union meeting and I told them if one person raises their hands to say, that uh, they don't want me to do this, then I won't do it. And it was unanimous vote. There's almost 100 guys at that meeting, and that was a unanimous vote back in February uh, for me to do that. You've got to have the buy-in, and you've got to have them understand why you're doing it, that this is for them. Because I have a cut, I've had a couple of uh, naysayers come by, say, oh, you're just doing this. You know, what are you going to do once you get on the board? Because now you're going to quit being a business manager. Well, people don't understand that that, that board is a volunteer board <laughs> that is not a that's a it's a paid position but you're getting paid um, i think it's about five hundred dollars a month and that's just to cover your expenses that's to cover your expenses as a trustee so you you're getting no money from it and uh it is for them and they've got to understand that it's for them and they've got to have buy-in and that is that is the that's the key and then in order for you to do this you've got to have good time management skills you can't neglect being a business manager. I still have to go to the meetings. I still have to, uh, I have a 401k, a retiree health, uh, a pension and a healthcare fund that you have to be participating in because your members rely on you to do that. And you've got to run those funds. You can't neglect them and you've just got to have good time management skills and you've got to learn, unfortunately, you've got to learn to say no. Uh, I think that was my hardest skill. I'm, I'm a people pleaser and for me to, to say no, I've had to say no to some interviews. I've had to say no to some uh, some trips. Uh, and I tell you what, Zoom has become my life. These uh, Zoom meetings and things like that, it's been very good, but you've got to learn to say no. But I want to reiterate the benefits of doing something like this. And not everybody has to run for a school board that I'm running for. This is a big position. Uh, I'm going to represent over 400,000 people in District B. Uh, it's a very huge district. It, it It's an urban district. Uh, with I have the most diverse district in Clark County as far as uh, ethnicity goes, but I also have rural uh, versus urban. It's a very complex issue, but uh, the goal on the other side, like Paul said, how many times do you have to explain what a sheet metal worker is? Now I'm actually getting to explain what a sheet metal worker is, and they know that logo. They know that logo, and it's amazing. Yeah, you know, discussing that with the uh, with the district, you talked about 70% of the uh, the students after they leave the district. That's you know roughly 224,000 students who you know might not go on to college. That yeah. is a good audience to tap into as far as uh, being able to you know get the word out about our industry and our union. And it does. What we've got to change, and uh, we we have, and I tell you, you know, my mentor was Dan Rose. Uh, a lot of people know him, and he was, uh, you know, just a great sheet metal worker. He was a, a, one of the best training directors uh, in the country that really pushed the training industry, I guess, what you know, the training side of us, just pushed that into places that we are still benefiting from today. I mean, he was a great guy. He's the one that always kind of pushed me into this 
kind of, you know, hey, you're either at the table or you're, you know, on the menu, that kind of thing. So it's better to be at the table. These kids that are in that district, you know, 224,000, they are being told that, oh, you didn't go to college, that you're less than. And when did, when in America did we switch that narrative? And teachers used to be, they were the top of the food chain. Back in the old days, they would give them a house, bring them into the, the community, give them a house, give them food. They were the greatest things. And then working, working with your hands, that used to be valued. And we need to flip that script and put that back in there. And that's what Clark County offers these kids is they, they offer them work that is fulfilling and it gives them good pay. It gives them a pension. It gives them health care. Culinary workers are notorious for their health care system uh, is amazing. Uh, it's second to none. And that uh, the clinic system that they have here, we should be the model, not vilified. That's a narrative that I'm finding more and more when we get into these groups, these political groups, that they want that narrative too. It's not a red or blue issue. They want that narrative too. They want hard work. They want skilled labor to be put on a pedestal again and not, you know, not vilified. You, you mentioned before uh, your wife has a connection and, you know, obviously you have a connection uh, with uh, the school district. You're running for it, but your wife is a teacher herself. Uh, your children obviously attend schools. Uh, you've had uh, experience engaging as a parent of uh, public school kids. Why is it important to have a quality public school system that serves hundreds of thousands of people and have that quality of a school system. This is kind of uh, pulls at your heartstrings kind of stuff. So I think all of us on you know on this call, we have the wherewithal to make the changes that just happened. Our trade, unionized trade, has given us the ability to give our kids what maybe we didn't have. My dad didn't have what I have, and that's what his goal was: is to give me a better life, and he did. And that's my goal to give my kids. I hope my kids do 10 times better than I do and, you know, and, and move on. Uh, I was able to go and get the technology for my kids. That is not the case for most people across the country, not just Clark County, but across the country. A couple days ago, I got to go to an inner city school and they're giving out food. You know, the food program in the school is the largest in the state. There was a 10-year-old boy that had two of his siblings, younger siblings, with him by the hand, and they were walking to the food distribution at the school between one of their breaks on their Zoom meetings. The, the teacher says, you know, come over here and listen to this. And uh, they said, how's your grandmother doing? They already knew. They knew this boy. And they said, is she at home? And he, she said, no, he, he, she went to work last night. She's not home yet. So the grandmother's working to, to keep these kids uh, a roof over their heads. They're at home doing Zoom meetings in school by themselves. And uh, you're talking about uh, fourth, I think fourth graders, fourth grade and below. One of them is in kindergarten. The only hope that they have to get to a better life is that school. That's it. We talk about social networks and things like that. The public education system is the biggest social network that we have to get people out of poverty and into the middle class. And people don't understand that. I live a middle class lifestyle and I've been, I have the money to give my kids what they need. The majority of kids, the only hope that they have to get out of poverty and getting to the lifestyle that I have is that school. That's it. If, if we have this narrative that comes from a really, really extremist position that says public education needs to be cut, uh, the Department of Education is a farce and we need to get rid of it. That is not acceptable. You know, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't have seen that in a better time 
to see those young people come up and do that kind of stuff and give you the values of why you're really doing this and why you're fighting. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. Hey, Jeff, so you you kind of touched on uh, the the importance of technical training uh, earlier a little bit. But I, I'm just wondering, in the, in the context of, you know, we're, we're in a time when a lot of young people are facing crushing student loan debt and yeah. more attention is being paid to the trades and technical training programs as pathways to great jobs where you can get paid while you learn and start a career with zero debt. Can you drill down on that a little more on the importance of technical training and how much is that a part of your, your platform and sort of what you're talking about out there on your campaign? That is the platform. I'm kind of speaking to the choir right here. We always used to focus on this type of education in high schools, but we can't do that. The younger that we can start this, the better, but I feel our success in Clark County has been that we started in the third grade, that uh, we showed up to schools in the third grade. When we show up with a virtual welder in the third grade, they just, these kids light up. And then what we do is we, we come in there for about four hours with a virtual welder or the virtual scissor lifts and these kids engage in what they are interested in. It's a, you know, this is cool. So when we, uh, when we're in the schools and we, we have the, the student engaged, what we do with them is once they're engaged and they see the virtual welding and they see the virtual scissor lifts and everything that we do in our industry, we say, here's an assignment for the next time we come back. And we're going to come back and say a week or two, uh, we're going to give them assignment and it's going to include math. We're going to show the students, that you have to pay attention in your math class. You have to pay attention in your science class. In order for these skills, we know that our skilled trade is getting more technologically based. We're keeping up as skilled tradesmen that we are even as 47 years old that I am, that we've got to keep up with that. And these young students in the third grade see that they've got to learn this in order to be this. Uh, and it's not just us. It's always devastating when to the, the building trades when the firefighters show up with their trucks because all the young kids want to see the trucks instead of, you know, what we have. But they do it too. They work alongside with us and they understand, they show them, they give them assignments that fire science is what they're going to have to learn. And this is why you pay attention in school. And once you engage this, these students based off of what they want to be or what they could be, now they see that you need to pay attention in math, science, and uh, one thing that we try and really get across is the English, English and reading, writing, how you, everybody in our trade knows how detailed uh, our plans and specs are these days. Uh, and then the technology to get the plans and specs, we're all doing it through iPads uh, and uh, in electronic devices now. And what we do with Navis, Revit, CAD, things like that. That is all interesting to these kids. And when you when you show them these things, they just eat it up. And this is like we were talking about with equity. This is what this is the equalizer. This is what can take a young person from being raised in a home where they don't have much, or if they don't have a home at all, to say, if you buckle down in school and you this is what you can do, this is what you can be, and you can bring yourself and your family out of poverty. Jeff, I got a question for you. There's 
There are almost 19,000 local communities across the United States right now. And we've got lots of members probably living in about 95% of them. A lot of them are ingrained in their community. A lot of them have people that look up to them in their community. What kind of advice would you have for them to get involved? I would say to find what your passion is. Um, you know, that's one of them. Find what your memberships need. Uh, your memberships need you to, to show up to the meetings. And remember, it doesn't matter how small or large. You don't have to run for U.S. Congress right away, uh, or even if that's what you want to do. Go to a town board meeting. Show up. You don't even necessarily have to run for these positions. Show up to your town board meeting and find out what their issues are. And if you're a member, get the uh, support of your union. I don't see too many business managers are going to tell you not to go uh, and tell them, hey, you know, we're going to show up. You've got to show up and show up and show them that you're going to do the work. I mean, it's one thing to show up to one meeting a year and, uh, you know, get up to the microphone and blow up the, you know, blow up the meeting. It's another thing to give good, insightful issues uh, under public comment and then show up to the, you know, if there's a, a food bank, Christmas toy, show up and be there and then engage yourself. And once you start doing that, you're going to learn that you have the skills to do that. You have the skills to sit up on the, uh, on the podium and make decisions. This is not easy. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat to say this is easy. You've got some public scrutiny that's going to come your way. You've got to be able to take public scrutiny and you've got to have some thick skin because there are some very dirty people out there. But the benefit to the membership and benefit to us is tremendous. You've got to do this. It is the only real way to make change. Uh, we can always advocate from the outside, but once you're on the inside, you've got to you know, buckle down and you can make the decisions. You can be the change agent. One last question, Jeff. We really appreciate your time. You've given us a heck of a lot of good information here. One thing that we've noticed is in the last couple of days, the President of the United States has been tweeting at and complaining about the governor of Nevada, complaining about Nevada and about ballots, saying that trying to cast doubt on the integrity of the election. What can you say about Nevada and the electoral process there? That ballots are going to be safe. Yes, Nevada has been a leader in elections for a long, long time. Uh, we were one of the first to go to um, the digital machines. We have had no signs, nothing credible over decades of voter fraud. Or, uh, In fact, our Secretary of State is a Republican, and she doesn't agree with anything that is coming out of the Trump campaign because she's uh, she's got integrity. This isn't a, a Democrat-Republican issue to question a state's integrity that has had no signs of that is uh, it's kind of low. One thing I'll say is that uh, we have had mail-in balloting here for a long, long time. The only thing that has changed is that they are sending it to every voter. It's not mandated that you do that. It's just another option. And that's where the national narrative that is coming out of the White House is that they're making everybody from Nevada vote that way. That's not true. I will have my mail-in ballot in my hand, if not today, tomorrow. But I don't have to do it that way. I can show up every year. We seem to open up voting a little more in Nevada and, and, and giving the people the ability to vote and vote easier. We have same day registration in the primaries. We have registration where you online where you can uh, register online. When you get a driver's license now, you're automatically registered to vote. So we're opening up the pathway to vote. In our last legislative session, if you uh, meet the criteria, if you have paid your debt to society, you know, if you've been incarcerated, you've paid your debt to society, 
you came out, you're not on probation, you, you have fulfilled everything that you legally have to do for your legal problems, you can now vote. We will have early voting and we opened up more sites for early voting. So you can go to the grocery store now and now there's a kiosk outside of the grocery store where you can just pop in, vote and uh, get out. It takes you about five minutes. It's very easy. And then on election day, we uh, on November 3rd, we actually expanded the access points to keep social distancing and health in mind. We added quite a few more sites even on election day for those diehards that they, you know, the old school folks that they that's the way they want to do it. Good for them. Uh, and we support that in Nevada. But for the, the Trump administration to come out and say that there is voter fraud or voter irregularities, absolutely not. There hasn't even been a case that they can point to uh, that says that and if they ever say that you know they found them in the dumpsters they found them in this that's all that's a hoax that is not true our elections in Nevada are the integrity is is utmost and whatever Trump puts out in the news is a bunch of garbage how about Nevada's role and status as a true battleground state now is there is there like a real sense out there that your vote really does matter and Nevada is going to really make a difference in what happens nationally there is, and it, uh, so the way it goes in Nevada is if anybody carries Clark County, which is in the South, if you carry Clark County by 10%, you're gonna win. So uh, just, I'm gonna give you averages because nobody, you know, the, the, the amount of people in Nevada are always fluctuating. Uh, we have about 3.2 million people in Nevada and 2.8 million of those people are in Clark County. So, if you carry if you carry Clark County in at least by 10%, you're going to win the vote, and that is uh, and that's because Clark County is a working class union town or union county, Las Vegas. Um, when our union members show up to the ballot box and vote union, we get union candidates. Uh, the governor that we have for all the scrutiny that he's been under for COVID-19, uh, it's not the easiest thing to navigate. He's a union man. He's a union through and through. He's a union from head to toe. And his agenda was working class issues. He restored prevailing wage in Nevada. He restored uh, so many workers' rights, healthcare-wise, workers' compensation-wise, uh, insurance. I can go on bill after bill after bill that he did for unions as a, union members as a whole. Two-person crews, too. Yep, two-man crews. Uh, that was one of the first bills that he signed uh, in the legislative session. That was a fun, yeah, that was a lot of fun getting that done with Jason Doring here in, in Nevada. That was awesome. And he, that was a priority to him. When we, when we started down the path of the two-man crews, you get that phone call. Uh, it says unknown caller. You better, you better answer it because you know where that phone call is coming from. And it came from his office and said, he want, I want that on my desk by Friday. And he made sure not only did he call me to say that that needed to be on his desk by Friday, and that was a Monday, that he called every legislator in the building and told them that needs to be on my desk by Friday. And they got it done. And that was one of the first bills that was signed. And that's the kind, and you know, not just the governor, but our even our Republican Secretary of State, our Republican Secretary of Labor, understand that unions built Nevada and unions are going to continue to build Nevada, and they believe in it. That's the difference in true Nevada politics. Nevada politics doesn't really fight over union versus non-union. We fight over, you know, rural versus urban. You know, that's the biggest fight. And if we can get over that, you know, we can get things done. You know, our attorney general 
has prosecuted many, many uh, worker misclassification cases because he's a union man. So this is, um, it, like I said, it doesn't need to be a Republican, Democrat. When you go and ask that person that you're looking to vote for, ask them about the union issues, ask them about prevailing wage, ask them about worker misclassification, ask every member to educate yourself on worker misclassification because that is, that's slave labor. That is what industry wants. They, they want to be able to hire um, these undocumented workers without paying them the wage that they should. If you can get strong worker misclassification laws in your state, you can protect those undocumented workers and you can protect your members from that poor employer. Uh, and our uh, attorney general has done a great job at prosecuting that in the state of Nevada. And it's it's been great over the last couple of years. But Ask your candidates about union issues and don't let them deflect with the cable news issues. Get union issues and ask your candidates about union issues and you'll make the right decision. Jeff, I want to thank you for your time. You spent a lot of time with us today and we really appreciate it. We know you're busy. You got a local union that you're helping administer and run over there. And I know you got a lot of great people around you too. Um, you got a incredible training school there just so people for those of you who don't know whenever any politician flies to nevada to campaign one of the first stops they make is at the local ada training school seemingly every time they got some of the most advanced equipment out there they got a fantastic operation if you're ever in nevada after you're done with the slots and you run out of money stop by local <laughs> 88 and take a look at their training school it's a fantastic place and go and meet up with jeff as well if you're in nevada right now Jeff, I assume you're looking for volunteers to help uh, on election day. Absolutely. Um, if you're a smart member, smart TD, smart sheet metal worker, and you want to go camp and volunteer for the election, we'll have the link in the broadcast description so you can reach out to Jeff and uh, and help out in any way. November 3rd is your election. We'll be watching closely. We look look forward to what you're going to be able to do for the people of Nevada next couple of years. We really thank you for being here. Thanks, guys, and thanks for uh, thanks for this forum. This is uh, this is getting the word out to our members, and uh, it's only going to grow from here. And I appreciate you guys doing it. Thanks, yeah, Jeff. Thanks for your time, uh, and good luck in your election. Uh, Clark County and Nevada will be better off uh, when you're on that school board. Nice. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. This is the open mic segment where we sit down with General President Sellers. General President Sellers, I want to welcome you to the broadcast. Thank you, Paul. It's a great opportunity for me to answer questions and concerns of our membership. Thank you. Uh, the first question we have for today, the first and only question we have for this, this episode, comes from Chris Spencer, a member out of Local 269 in Kingston, Ontario. He asks, is anything being done or even considered to address local elections? He goes on to say, I know times are strange. But if the U.S. presidential election is able to go on without interruption, how are local elections being addressed? Well, great question. And, and thank you, Chris. I appreciate you for submitting that. 
In the states, there are a lot of coverage on the presidential, the Senate, and House races for this upcoming election. On part of your question, each locality has funding by state and local governments, similar to the elections in Canada and within provinces. These funds are intended to conduct elections and oversee them locally. Interestingly enough, after 2000 hanging Chad vote in Florida, the US federal government provided periodic funding for elections with the Help America Vote Act of 2002. With the continued poor management of the pandemic, as we enter into the third surge here in the states and the threat of cyber attacks on our election security, only a small amount of funds were released to protect the voter databases. Nowhere near what was requested by state and local governments. The national infrastructure at the Defense Department, the FBI and other agencies take on the task of protecting the integrity of the vote and so far have found Iran and Russia attempting to intimidate, suppress and sway our vote. I ask each of you, please have a plan to vote and don't let the interference get in the way of your voice. Vote early if you can and please be safe. On the second part of your question, Chris, for election day, our locals engage members and their community for municipality and statewide candidates. Our membership volunteering for get out the vote campaigns and membership education campaign. It does look different this year, but we are engaged with phone banks and peer to peer with members and texting and lit drops and smaller labor walks, all for working pro labor candidates at the national level, as well as locally on down ballot candidates that have our union values. SMART has state coordinators in the 14 battleground states and our SMART Army is always working and messaging in their community, branding ourselves and recognizing that labor is a vital part of the community. You heard earlier from Jeff Prophet, who works closely with transportation division, sisters and brothers for two person crew and prevailing wage laws to benefit members across our organization. How involved each local is, that depends on each of us. I know smart leaders cannot do it alone. I urge you to please get involved. I urge you to please join the smart army. Make the difference. Join your brothers and sisters for yourself, our brothers and sisters, and your union. That's how we become stronger. Chris, again, thank you for your question. Thank you, General President Sellers for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Paul. And brothers and sisters, please stay safe.